I'm Dawn Durham and welcome to Patent Pod. Providing mental health services, supporting students' ability to learn and teachers' ability to teach, assisting families in navigating the educational landscape. School psychologists have the expertise to do all this and more. Individuals in the school psychologist role have the ability to bring about positive change in the lives of students and families. Joining us today on Patent Pod to talk about school psychologists as change agents is Dr. Charles Barrett. Dr. Byron McClure and Dr. Tim Runge. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on Patent Pod today. We're really excited to have this conversation. Tim, I'm gonna go ahead and start with you if that's all right. When we think about change agents, these are folks who transform organizations. And in our case, we're talking about school systems and maybe even the larger thought about transforming communities. When we think about the many roles a school psychologist play, how does that really align to what a change agent does? Excellent question. I, I think that what immediately comes to mind is that a change agent is one who has to work at a systems level, um, while at the same time also recognizing the hard work that's done down in the trenches. And I think school psychologists come to the table with that level of, of experience and hopefully expertise that positions them very nicely for that systems level work because we're not really administrators in many regards, although some of us maybe are but we're much more in the trenches with teachers, but at times uh, liaisoning with central office or building level administrators. So I think we have the training expertise and systems level organizational psychology and consultation to really be those change agents. We, we need to use those skills with administration, with community members, with teachers, in order for this systems level work to really not only uh, take root, but also sustain for a long period of time. And we have to recognize you can't do large-scale reform in a matter of a month or two months or even a, a couple of years. Sometimes it takes five to six or seven years. At least that's what we see in PBIS implementation efforts. And I think also we as school psychologists, we have some training and expertise related to data and using data to tell our story, to make the argument for why change is needed, where to make those changes, and also to evaluate whether our changes are, are achieving their desired outcome. And then I would also say we need to know, or we have the skills and, and the knowledge about how to find out what's the evidence base behind the things that, that we as a school community and as a larger community outside of the school building walls want to change. We need to investigate to find out, is what this school and community want to do, is it evidence-based? And, and, and so I think we, not maybe, we maybe don't have that answer right away, but we know where to find that answer. And therefore, we can help steer systems-level change toward those things that we know work and hopefully steer systems-level change away from the things that we know really don't work. And, and finally, I would just add that sometimes we may, we may just have to be unpopular uh, in making these, these kind of changes. We hopefully will smooth over those those initial kind of uh, feelings that maybe some of our, our colleagues might have. But ultimately, we're advocating for kids. Mm -hmm. And if we know that something works, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that that is implemented. And therefore, I think we as school psychologists are uniquely positioned as change agents for those variety of reasons. 
you know, I think it's important that we think about that training and expertise of a school psychologist really spans, as you said, from the systems level all the way down to who's got those boots on the ground doing that work. So I appreciate that we're, you know, we're really talking about that wide continuum there. So Byron, I'm going to ask you to kind of jump in there and how does this, how does the role of change agent really align with a school psychologist role? Yeah. In my perspective, I believe that there's perfect alignment there. And the perspective that I'm going to take answering this question, uh, to me, it involves evolving our role because of the training that we have as school psychologists. As Tim alluded to, we have training in consultation and collaboration and problem solving. And we're experts in data collection and all these different pieces. But so often we're only relegated to, to one uh, one role, right? Which we all know um, typically is, is testing and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think in this context of being change agents, we have to have a conversation around expanding our role in order to really and authentically tap into all of those areas of expertise so that we can really promote uh, systemic change. Because when we do that, ultimately what we're talking about is improving outcomes not just for our students, uh, but for everyone who comes into uh, that interacts within those systems. So we're extending up from students to teachers, to you know community partners, to leaders. Um, and then when you get outside of that building, now you're talking about a family, you're talking about community partners, you're talking about um, every aspect that is touched uh, within that system. And to me, it's really important that as school psychologists, not only are we really tapping into that expertise, but we're really tapping in um, into extending our entire role um, from testing and really utilizing that, right? So it's the concept of a toolbox and we're utilizing all of those tools and resources that are available to us so that we can make a difference in the lives of the children that we work with. You know, I think that's important when we're really thought we're really talking about evolving and expanding the role of a school psychologist, which is really what we're focused on, even just in our conversation today. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And Charles, I'll kind of give you some final thoughts here in this regard. And how does this align with what a school psychologist is when we think about changing and transformation? Sure. So I would echo uh, all that Tim said, all that Byron said. I will also add this um, this short phrase I've been doing some blogging about. Uh, it's called focus on the fence. And I think that we've all seen these images of, you know, children or people looking over a fence at a baseball game and there are different boxes. And we oftentimes get caught up in the different boxes, which are fine, you know, interventions that people need based on their own size or stature. But we oftentimes um, maybe inadvertently overlook the need for the fence being addressed. And those are those systems level changes that are really preventing access uh, for all of our students. So I think that um, psychologists who are doing great work or teachers doing great work in their buildings or principals doing great work in their buildings, that's fabulous. Um, but until we really systematize those, those efforts, we're not really helping all kids. So I think looking broadly, you know, Nash has talked about it, but the field more broadly, has talked about social justice. Um, and I would say that one of the, the aspects of social justice that's so important to think about is looking at what's happening around the child, um, not only what's happening within the child themselves. So we look at these systemic factors of how communities operate, school funding, um, 
exposure to police violence and trauma in the community, all those things are going to be impactful on how students present in school. So school psychologists, again, not so much only focused on schools or education, but on child development, human development, having all those skills and perspectives to really influence systems um, to reach more children um, kind of beyond our individual practice in schools and our own systems. I appreciate that focus on the fence. You're right, we have seen a lot of those images where there's several children looking at a baseball field. Do we give one child three boxes to stand on, one child one box? Do we remove the fence? Do we not put up the fence in the first place? So that focus on the fence, and you know what, all three of you, I wanna pull out a couple of words that all three of you really spoke to. We talked about advocacy, we talked about positive student outcomes, and we talked about what's going on around the child. And I think those are three really important points as we think about this. So Byron, you kind of spoke to this a little bit, and I want to dig a, a little bit more into this. You talked about really expanding and evolving the role of a school psychologist, and I'd, I'd kind of argue that there's this preconceived notion around school psychologists, and those are folks who children or youth go to if there's a problem, if they're struggling with something. But what I'm hearing you say is that's not necessarily the case. So help us understand then, you know, what do we think about in regards to what's an accurate understanding of a school psychologist? Is it just for a struggling youth or is it for everyone? Help me out here. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a fair argument to make. And I will respond to that by saying that absolutely, as, as Charles always says, it's always about the children. So I don't think we would be in this profession if we didn't care deeply about the children who we work with. But to really do a good job of working with children, we have to be able to work with others and help others to understand social emotional development and uh, academic achievement and best practices, as Tim was alluding to. And to do that well, we must be able uh, to understand as well as meet the needs of staff. Um, in my work um, in DC, my, my most recent position, I was the assistant director of redesign, which was a school transformation. And one of the specific tasks that I had, um, of course, working with children to create the best school experience for those children. But the other component to that was working directly with our staff. And one of the things that we did, um, I, for me, it was important to utilize the strength-based approach. And with that strength-based approach, we're shifting from what's wrong to what's strong, understanding your strengths so that we can improve those outcomes. But before we can even do that work with our children, we had to do that work with our staff. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that we did is to train our staff on social emotional development have an understanding of best practices, what actually works, right? And then utilizing things such as the strength finders assessment so that as staff, we can understand our individual strengths, what we do well in, where we thrive, where we find joy, um, and then really tapping into that so we can bring our full selves to work. And then by doing that, that will trickle down to students. And then we can maximize the potential of all the students who we work with. So to, to be very succinct in answering your question, it's always about the children, but we have to work with those around us so that we can bring our best selves to do the work for the children. I love that, kind of maximizing the potential. And you said of students, I'll kind of go with and staff too, maximizing potential for students yeah. and staff who are focused on those kids, absolutely. So Charles, I'll kind of kick this to you a bit. This, this notion that only youth who may be struggling or have difficulty, that's not an accurate notion about school psychologists, and that's the population of, of the community that um, the folks in this role really work with. So help me out, and how do I help people understand 
that's such a narrow-minded view of school psychologists, and it's such a bigger understanding, such a bigger role. Correct. So, yeah, I would echo what my good friend um, Byron um, certainly um, shared about shifting from what's wrong to what's strong. But sometimes the way to do that is to really have a strong prevention focus. So certainly um, psychologists are involved with students with disabilities, those who are identified that require more support. And historically, that's a large part of how we came to be as a profession. Um, but the more effective way to reach more students would be to really have strong uh, tier one programming, tier two programming to really uh, prevent students from being identified. In my most uh, recent role practicing as a school psychologist, most of my work was actually spent with gen ed students. So a lot of um, kind of pre-referral work through consultation processes. And I spent a lot more time with students who were not identified versus those that were. Uh, I'd also echo the idea about consultation and when we can empower the adults that are working directly with children. Um, so uh, maybe maximizing the skills of one teacher who can now affect their class of 25 or 30 students. That's a lot more effective than one psychologist seeing, um, you know, 30 kids individually or even small groups. So I think that a lot of it even goes back to the NAS practice model, which talks about a bunch of things beyond testing, beyond eligibility, beyond disabilities, and how can we really embed um, those activities into the role of a school psychologist. So I've always enjoyed my role, you know, practicing with a variety of students, um, not just those with disability, but really helping to prevent the identification of those students as um, having disabilities by really equipping parents, equipping families, teachers with more effective strategies um, to help all kids. I love it, that prevention focus. That's really where school psychologists, and I think that's where all educators, practitioners, we're focused on that prevention model. So Tim, I'll ask you, any, any thoughts about that prevention focus? Keeping in mind that we're really looking at tier one programming, and really, as we had talked about, maximizing potential and empowering staff. I'll kind of give you some, some time to reflect on that question there. Thank you, and, and of course, I echo everything that Charles and Byron have already said, so I'm not gonna repeat that. What I'd like to do is just offer maybe a little bit more layering on top of all of that. I'm a trainer of school psychologists. I've been a trainer for 13 years. So I'm out of the practice field on a day-to-day -day basis for now over a decade. But I ask all of you as school psychologists, think about your training. And of all the courses and time and energy and frankly money that went into your training, what, how much of that was really dedicated to that traditional role of assessing kids for special education? Of course, that was a big chunk of our training, but I tell my students all the time, if that's all you're going to do, and there are plenty of jobs out there in which you can do that, just test kids forever, but that's really wasting all of the training that you've had. And for many of us, and for me in particular as a practitioner for nearly a decade, I did a lot more than just that. And frankly, I, I had to, or else I, I didn't think I was really not only meeting the needs of my students and my staff and families, but also was wasting the training that I had received. So I encourage all of you to think back about your own training and utilize all of that other skill, all those other skill sets that you've achieved. And to do that, I think I always fall back on um, one of the founders of my training program at Penn State, uh, Dr. Robert Bernreiter, who, who famously said, essentially make yourself generally useful. I think school psychs can advocate for an expansive role in prevention work, whether it's behavior, academic, social, emotional, doesn't matter. Just go out and ask to help out, roll up your sleeves and do that work. Because frankly, at least in my experience, 
no administrator is really going to ask you to do that. You have to do it on your own, and that's how you expand your role. And I would encourage all of us to consider how can we expand our role? It's going to take some extra effort. You have to roll up your sleeves, but make yourself generally useful. And that's how you start to branch out beyond just this test place kind of mentality and really addressing less than 15% of the population as the federal and state, uh, at least the federal uh, indicators suggest there's about 15, 15%, 15 of all kids um, have special education needs. So there's a lot more opportunity there for us to help out. Oh, I love it. Kind of a direct message to school psychologists. Utilize the tools and the skill set that your training provided to you. And that may mean you got to roll up your sleeves, think about things a little bit differently, but really dig in there and, and get to that. I think those are those are good messages to be sending um, sending out there. So, Tim, let me, let me ask you this. I'm going to start with you because you've been talking um, a bit about systems level. And we all have been talking about systems level. Um, but when we think about what else kind of a broad way to think about this, but what else can a school psychologist offer? You said, you know, there's more than, and, and there's more than just test in place. And we talked and, and we heard Byron and Charles and you talk about the, empowering the staff and the community. What does that look like? When I walk into a school district or a school educational setting, what does it look like when the school psychologist is thinking systems level? What are they offering the school, the district, the community? Can you give us a sense of that? Sure, I, I think we, we can still fall back on our traditional skill set that school psychologists have. That would be assessment, consultation, and intervention. And, and maybe I'll just briefly tackle assessment. School psychs ought to know how to do assessment better than probably everybody else in a school district, no offense to our teacher and administrator, yeah. administrator colleagues. But we can reach out to find the resource to, do, resource to do some of that work. For example, in the PBIS world, in which I tend to reside, in terms of my research uh, and, and active involvement in schools recently, we can look at root cause analyses and PBIS culturally responsiveness field guides, those resources that we should be aware of, and then we can facilitate those discussions at a building or at a district level to really find the data that speak to what are the root causes, and then instead of admiring the problem like schools are really good at doing, we shift to intervention and consultation where we figure out what are those intervention strategies at classroom level or building level that we could implement to address those root causes. And then frankly, again, here's rolling up the sleeve, consulting with administrators and teachers to make that work happen. So I always go back to the, the foundational skills of school site traditionally, which were assessment, consultation, intervention. I think they still apply at a systems level perspective. That assessment, consultation, and intervention, especially when we think about that systems level, I think that's important. You know, and, and Charles, I'm going to ask you this question. The same kind of concept is what more can a school psychologist offer when we think about the community? And the community at large, what does a school psychologist have to offer um, in regards to building that community up? Can you kind of speak to that a bit? Sure. So I think th there was one class that I took in graduate school that has proven to be one of the most beneficial classes. And I don't think I heard this person's name um, until grad school, and, I, and that's Bronfen Brenner. I took a class in human development, and Bronfen Brenner's ecological systems theory is probably something I use every single day in my practice, uh, just looking more broadly at who students are, who people are, and all of these intersecting and overlapping influences that really apply to their performance and behavior. I do think school psychologists, as psychologists, have a unique perspective in thinking about the multiple influences that really make people who they are. And sometimes it takes 
targeting areas that are beyond the school. So you mentioned before um, that we talked about kind of as a panel, um, the role of advocacy and systems and all those things. And I do think advocacy is important to, to really think about um, how are schools funded? So it's talking about um, local government and city government, your board of supervisors, your school board. And I do think school psychologists with skill sets in, in data and analysis can really be influential in helping people um, kind of redirect their energies to places that can be more effective long-term for more students. So I think having this ecological approach is really, really central that we're not only thinking about the classroom or only thinking about the teacher or the building level, but what's happening before kids even get to school. So how can we really um, collaborate across disciplines with pediatricians and um, kind of getting kids ready for school and kindergarten, all those early literacy skills. Um, I think those are things that we can really speak to well as school psychologists. Again, this strong prevention focus um, that a lot of us have in our training can be very influential. But really, I, I want to highlight Bronfen Brenner because that one theory has really informed my practice. Um, again, I'll, I'll mention social justice very quickly. I don't know that we can do social justice or engage in that type of work well without really taking a strong Bronfen Brenner approach uh, and looking at systems and how they really affect people differently. So I can talk for hours about that, but I'll stop right there because so much to say about, about the ecological system that all people um, are living in. No, I think that's, a, you know, it's a good thing that we mentioned that, that school psychologists have a unique perspective. And we're, you know, we, the goal is to really collaborate cross disciplines. And I think that's an important piece to, to speak to. And, and Byron, I'll kind of let you finish out this thought. If you want to add some more, I know you've talked a lot about empowering staff so that we can kind of maximize that potential. Um, but your thoughts on kind of that expansion of the school psychologist role, maybe as it directly relates to students. Yeah, absolutely. And School psychologists are, as Charles, as Tim alluded to, we're, we're knowledgeable in a number of different areas. And I think school psychologists, we can be that, that connector, right? So often leadership is operating in their own silos because they have to, they have to, you know, be responsible for the operating of the entire school. Uh, district leaders are operating from a district uh, level standpoint. Teachers are operating from instructional uh, points. Parents are operating from the standpoint of what's in the best interest of their babies. And school psychologists, we're uniquely positioned to be the connectors right there in the middle of district leaders, school leaders, parents, teachers, students, all of those different moving pieces to help people understand why. Why is this happening? Why aren't we communicating? We can be the bridge amongst all those different pieces to bring some sort of cohesion and unity given the expertise that we have. And as you as you ask, how does this connect to students? I, I just love what, what Charles says. It's always about the children. So we wouldn't be in this if it wasn't for the children. So if we can tap into our skill set uh, to help people get on the same page uh, to improve these outcomes for the children, then I think we're doing great. Um, the, the last thing that I wanted to say about this as I was listening to Charles and Tim um, is so often as, as really it was Tim, 
he was so that's so weird for me saying Tim. Dr. Rangi was my professor, so it's just in me to say Dr. Rangi. And I'm trying to, I've been practicing. But as Tim was saying, so often in education, we just admire the problem. And what school psychologists can do is to move people from admiring the problem to giving solutions of how we can move into action, whether that's social justice, whether that's through assessment, consultation, whatever it is, we can actually move the needle towards change and growth. And one particular way that I think we can do that is through really leaning on our knowledge of data um, and of course assessment, but helping people to understand the data, tracking trends and things such as office discipline referrals to see where trends are happening and then doing something about it. So we're no longer just admiring the problem, we're moving towards solutions that will actually move the needle for our students. I love it, admiration to action. That's what we're talking about. Let's move away from admiring the problem to actually acting on the problem. And something else you had said that I think is gonna kind of stick with me, school psychologist is really a connector. They're connecting all the pieces together to maximize that potential for the students, for the staff, for the district, and for the larger community. And I think that's such a great note to kind of end on and thinking about school psychologists as the connector. So I will say, Charles, Byron, and Tim, it has been an absolute honor and a joy to get to have you on Patent Pod to have this very needed conversation. We look forward to the National School Psychology Week this year. Let's get in gear. That's the focus of this year's um, theme. And we're all excited to really see school psychologists as change agents. So thank you, all three of you, again, for being on with, with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time and, and your invitation. We appreciate it. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.